a grandparent here this morning because uh, I get to do whatever I want with you and then turn you back over to your parents. And I, I don't have to worry about it. I appreciate being here. I promised Jeremy I would limit my time to an hour and a half. So, so uh, I hope you all have, are ready to hang in there this morning. You know, worry and fear are at epidemic proportions in our culture. You know, people stress out about absolutely everything now. They, uh, I worked, Jeremy didn't tell you this, but I worked for 14 years as a respiratory therapist, and one of my jobs was to take a medical history on people, including the drugs that they were taking. And in doing that, 90% of the patients are now on antidepressants long-term antidepressants for anxiety, for fear, for worry. And I thought it's a tragedy. It's, it's because it never really helps them deal with what's causing them the stress. It just masks the symptoms. And you'd like to think that this was only a problem among the unbelieving world, right? We're believers. We should have faith in God. Uh, but unfortunately, the same statistic is true for the church. All too often, believers are characterized by worry and fear, it absolutely consumes them. I would say it's probably, a, in my years of ministry now, I, I've come to find that it's probably a 50-50 split between what believers struggle with. It's either worry and fear or it's anger and depression. Uh, it's, it's kind of a 50-50 split. And so this morning, I, I would like to open the scriptures with you. I believe that God's Word would tell us that we can find rest and peace in God. Uh, Jeremy read that passage for you out of Romans 5 this morning, and I believe that to be true. We can have peace in God's presence. So why don't you turn in your Bibles this morning, if you're not already there, to Psalm 23. And I will read the passage. I didn't have them put it up there because I figured you all had a different version than I had. This is the New American Standard. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, There is no doubt this passage has brought comfort to many people over the years, standing graveside at funerals and other such things. Our hope is this morning that you will find comfort in this passage. You know, we can learn a lot from animals. How many of you would agree? I used to like to watch uh, Wild Animal Kingdom on TV and such. You know, uh, we can learn a lot from animals, and I think we can learn a lot from animals in this passage. This thing's going to keep sliding. This is going to drive me crazy. Uh, There. So this preacher goes into a pet store. Okay, and he says, I need to buy a parrot. And the, and the pet store owner says, are you sure uh, you want a parrot? And he says, yes. Um, and so the preacher says, well, are you sure it doesn't scream 
yell, or swear. And the store owner says, oh, absolutely, it's a, it's a religious parrot, the guy assures him. He says, do you see those strings on his legs? When you pull the right one, he recites the Lord's Prayer. And when you pull the left one, he recites Psalm 23. And the preacher says, well, what happens when I pull both strings? And the parrot says, I fall off the perch, you stupid idiot. (laughs) We can learn a lot from animals, that's the point. You know, Psalm 23 was written by King David, who himself was a shepherd. Uh, I'm not going to have you turn there, but 1 Samuel 16.11 would indicate that David was a shepherd in his early days. Uh, In this psalm, he pictures himself as one of the sheep, though. In this psalm, he's a sheep in God's flock. And so this is, this is how he envisions God here. God is the great shepherd, and he's likening himself to a sheep. Uh, psalm 28, 9 also pictures God as a shepherd. You could look there. Uh, this is not the only place in Scripture where we see God as a shepherd. He says, save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. It's the idea of God being a shepherd. In Psalm 80, verse 1, we see the same thing. Psalm 80, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. So God is pictured as a shepherd in the Old Testament in many places. And we all know what shepherds do. They care for the sheep. And so for us this morning, we want to see God as our shepherd. And we're going to see two lessons from a sheep this morning from this passage. Uh, We're going to learn something from an animal this morning. We're going to see two lessons from a sheep so that we will appreciate the care of our great shepherd. So follow along with me in the text here. Our um, Our first lesson that we learn is that we don't need to worry because of God's provision. Uh, God provides for his sheep. That is the first lesson. And we see that in verses 1 to 3 there, back in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, one of the biggest reasons that people worry and fear is because they think, bottom line, God isn't going to provide for their needs. That God is not going to meet their needs. That, that they're helpless and they feel all alone in the world. But notice in this first verse here, David says that uh, the Lord is my shepherd and I want for nothing. That's literally how it reads. I want for nothing. Uh, so, so notice this. Uh, he says, uh, literally, not I lack not I want. And it's really, uh, we don't, it doesn't strike us when we first read it, but this is really an incredible picture that David is painting here. Because who is God? God is the creator of everything, right? He's the majestic one, the holy one, creator of everything, but shepherds are the lowliest people in society. And so he's saying the greatest being there is is one of the lowest people here in this point. He's, he cares for us. He cares for us like a shepherd. Interestingly, the word shepherd is actually more of a verb than it is a noun. It's, it's the idea that he's the shepherding one. It's, it's characterizing him by what he does rather than what, what he is. He, he, he shepherds his people. And so we can learn a lot from the sheep this morning. Now, four times in the first three verses, if you look at that with me, you see the word he? See the word he? Uh, that is God. God is the one who does these things. And, and so four times he's saying, uh, this is how God provides for us. This is how God provides for us. He does this. He does that. 
he does this, and he does that. And so look at this with me. Uh, these are, uh, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Right? These are all, if you will, metaphors for spiritual blessings. Uh, David is looking at God and he's saying, God provides all these things. It, everything's kind of flip-flopped in the original language. And so it really normally reads like this. In meadows grassy, he causes me to lie down. Uh, in waters, or beside waters quiet, he leads me, and my soul he restores. The, the thing that he works on is on the front side, if you will. And so, uh, notice this phrase, he makes me lie down. Now, now, this could be translated probably more accurately, he causes me to lie down. And you would think, well, that's not a big deal, but, but sheep don't lie down naturally on their own. The shepherd has to make them lie down. So the idea here is that he, he causes me to lie down or to recline or to repose or to, to stretch out in grassy meadows. He makes me do that. Uh, God is the one who causes the action. You know, I, I always see those sheep commercials, right, or those, uh, those bed commercials like Serta. They, they show the sheep there, right? And I always think to myself, well, what does sheep count when they're trying to fall asleep? You know, I don't know a whole lot about sheep. I'm a city boy, you know. I'm, for the most part, I'm a city boy born and raised. How many of you are concrete kids? Yeah, same here. City boys, I don't know a lot about sheep, so I had to do... That reminds me of a story, by the way. Can I tell you a story? We went out fishing at Big Bear one time, and I don't fish. I've never fished, but when we had kids, we decided, well, we had to fish. That was the thing to do. So... I'm convinced that one of the fish committed suicide. <laughs> but the other one, I actually think there was some skill involved in it. But uh, the funny thing about it is the first fish I ever caught was like a 12-foot a, a fish. A uh, 12-foot, no, yeah, right, 12-inch, see? <laughs> That's a fish story if I ever heard one. So I was all excited. So this fish committed suicide. He jumped on my hook. So I took it back to the, uh, to the cabin and I said to my wife, look at this fish, honey. Look at this salmon I caught. Well, we were in Big Bear Lake. There's no salmon in Big Bear Lake. It was a trout. Uh, and so I don't know the first thing about fish. All that to say this, uh, I had to do a little research on sheep. And uh, Philip Keller in his book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Here's what he said. Uh, sheep don't lie down very readily. I did not know that. Sheep don't lie down very readily, he says. In fact, there are four things that keep sheep from lying down. Fear, friction, flies, and famine. That would preach. They're timid and must be free of all fear in order to rest. Socially, they will not lie down unless they're free from friction with other sheep. If tormented by flies or parasites, they become agitated. And if sheep are hungry and in need of food, they will not rest. I did not know that. But that's the idea here, is that sheep don't lie down. God has to cause them to lie down. Uh, the other idea here in the text, you see this, is the idea of quiet waters. And uh, in the original language, it carries the idea of, of the idea of the quality of the waters being tranquil or refreshing. Uh, so God provides refreshment for our souls. It's it's not talking about the movement of the waters. It's talking about their refreshing nature. 
like a cold drink on a hot day, is the idea. He restores my soul. Uh, This could either mean that he restores my soul, or it could carry the idea that he, um, he brings me to repentance. Some people have translated it that way. Maybe you have that in your Bible this morning. I think it's probably more accurate that he restores our soul. But the point is that these three ideas in the original language, they, they pile up and they paint a picture. And what's the picture that they paint? That God provides refreshment for his sheep. That's the point. Refreshment for our souls. Now, you think about that, and, you know, our English word, worry, comes from the word worgen. And worgen originally meant to strangle somebody. And you think of the parable of the sower and the seeds, and what happens to some of those people who believe right away? Well, the cares and concerns of the world, they grow up and they do what? They strangle out that seed. And that's the idea here. See, is, is our problem is we get strangled out by the cares and the concerns of the world. We get choked. And the problem is we want control. The reason why we worry is because we want to control things. It's really kind of a vicious cycle here. Uh, we get caught up in worry, which causes us to pull away from God. And the further we pull away from God, the more we enter into worry, and fear. It really is a vicious cycle. So the the answer to overcoming worry and fear is not to distance yourself from the shepherd, but to what? Draw closer to him. That's right. Why worry? Uh, What do you need that you do not already have? What do you need that you do not already have? Uh, God is the shepherd. He provides for all of your needs, He provides for your souls to be refreshed. He provides nourishment and nurturing for you. Uh, We need not worry as believers. God is in control. God is faithful to provide for his sheep. So we can turn to him instead of running away from him. That's the point. Second provision, uh, you see that second half of verse 3 there? He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I set this one off because it really is different than the other verses. When you look at it originally, uh, this time the, the words are flip-flopped again. And so poetically, he's, he's, he's setting it off for a different purpose. And so he says, it's not just that he provides the paths for us to walk in. He also um, provides the guidance in the paths as well. He doesn't just say, go that way. He walks with us along the way. Uh, The good shepherd provides for us in that way. You know, it's easy for sheep to kind of veer off and stray off and go off a cliff or or go into a dangerous place and get ravaged by wolves, uh, sometimes to their own peril. Uh, Sometimes they even lead each other in the wrong places, right? Uh, But God walks with us in those hard places. That's the point. Paths here are, are the idea of tracks. So you could think of an old uh, road where the water has poured down on the road and, and, the, and the cart has gone through and it's, and it's formed these, these uh, divots or these tracks in the road and then the water dries out and then the tracks are still there and hard formed. That's the idea here. So our, our shepherd guides us or he, he keeps us in 
the righteous paths. Do you see that? Verse 3. He keeps us from straying and keeps us on the righteous paths. He keeps us out of harm's way. Uh, I think David here is, is talking about sin. He's talking about the fact that God, if you will walk closely with the shepherd, he will keep you on the path of righteousness. Right? He will not allow you to stray off one way or the other. In fact, all the Old Testament words you know, for, for sin all carry the idea of straying off the path like a caravan going astray. And this is the idea here, that God, uh, out of his own goodness and for his own glory, keeps us in the paths of righteousness. Do You see, for his namesake. He does it for himself because he's the shepherding one. He cares for his sheep out of his own faithfulness. You know, it's, it's no wonder when you look at John 10, verses 11 to 15, that Jesus took this title to himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me, right? And I lay down my life for my sheep. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. So distancing yourself from him uh, and straying into paths of sin is not the answer to worry and fear. Uh, The further you are from him, the more acutely you will feel fear and worry. It's kind of like a mathematical equation. They're proportional. Closer to the shepherd equals speak to me. Peace. Less worry. Distance from the shepherd equals worry and fear. You know, the word providence and the word provide are actually from the same thing. In the original Language, uh, Latin actually, they, it meant pro video. And the, the idea is to see beforehand. God sees beforehand and he meets our needs before we even have to ask him. That's the good shepherd. That is God. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. I think that's a word for us this morning. Sheep are helpless, uh, but the one that we belong to is not helpless. In fact, uh, we sang right this morning, he is stronger. He is stronger. He is self-sufficient. He is inexhaustible. He's utterly unchanged by time. Uh, So we lack nothing because we have a connection to him. He provides refreshment for our souls. He provides righteousness for our paths. So we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry and fear the way the rest of the world worries and fears. You know, God, Christ said in Matthew 6, right? Why do you worry? The little birds uh, are cared for. The grass of the fields are cared for. Why do you worry? What do you need that you do not already have? Will not your Father in heaven provide these things for you? So that's the first lesson. We, we need not worry, beloved, because God provides for his sheep. Secondly, we need not fear because of his presence. So we don't, we don't need to worry because of his provision, and we don't need to fear because of his presence. Look at verses 4 to 6. 
says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. His presence, he's there, right? Your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. So the idea here is that closeness to our shepherd calms our fears and quiets our souls like nothing this world has to offer us. Nothing in this world can offer us the peace that comes from his presence. And there's really two blessings here in the text that I want you to see. And the first one is in verse 4, and that's the idea of consolation. Consolation is another word for comfort in Hebrew, which is the original language here. And it, and, and it carries the idea of, in, in some instances, the idea of remorse uh, or grieving. Here in this situation, in Psalm 23, in this context, uh, I believe it's better translated the idea of console. The shepherd provides consolation. He provides comfort. He consoles us in our grief. Uh, this is actually... a It's a conditional statement. And what that means is, the way it should read is, uh, if I were to walk through shadowy places, even then I know I would not need to fear because you are with me. That's that's kind of the idea here. It's, It's more of a even if then. The valley of the shadow of death, it it could be an allusion to the seasonal passage that the sheep made from the uh, lowlands to the high pastures, right? Uh, Sheep on the way would be led through wadis, ravines, and dark places, shadowy places, and and there in the cracks and the crevices, the predators would hide out and wait to pounce. And so the shepherd would protect them on their journey from the lowlands to the highlands. It seems in David's mind, the idea here is that darkness or literally shadowy places it carries the idea of the uncertainties of life. It's the uncertainties of life. Uh, but understand this. Even the righteous paths at times need to go through the dark places. Okay? Uh, this is what I want you to get out of this. Uh, but God is still present with us in those dark places. He may lead us along those paths. He may take us through those dark valleys but He never, ever forsakes us. He is always with us. And notice the two tools of the trade there, right? The rod, uh, which would be used to club down the wild animals, or the staff, which was used to keep the sheep in control. God has two weapons in His arsenal, and He uses those for His people. But what David is saying is those, both of those things bring comfort to Him. Both of those things. God is, uh, David is comforted by the rod and he's also comforted by the staff. They both bring comfort to him because they represent God's presence. They represent God's presence even in the dark places. I have this quote for you here. It's by James Boyce. He's a popular commentator and he says this, The valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside quiet waters. That is, the Christian life is not always tranquil, nor, as we say, a mountaintop experience, 
God gives us valleys also, and it's in the valleys with their trials and dangers that we develop character. You have to go through the valleys too because they develop character and righteousness. This other guy, I have a quote for you here. He's an old Puritan writer. Don't ever name your children this. His name is Stopford Brook. But he says, He does not only give us comfort, for that would weaken character. He gives us power, for the true comforter is the strengthener in pain, not the remover of pain. You understand that? You've got to get your arms around that this morning. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. The promise that God has made is that He will be with you even in the midst of the pain. Okay? The answer to the sheep's fear is the close presence of the shepherd. He's the only one that has the power to protect them and to calm them by his presence. By the way, look back at the text with me. It's probably no accident that there's a shift in pronouns here at this point. In other words, he doesn't say he, he, he anymore, but he starts saying you. He starts praying. In the dark places in life, it's not he does this anymore, it's you, O Lord, I know are with me. I think that's significant. You are with me. You have promised you won't leave me. I'm relying on that promise. Uh, Beloved, God has not promised to remove pain. He has not. Uh, He has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you in the midst of the pain. And I have found that to be true. Pain is just as much in his power as blessing is. And he knows because he is all-knowing and all-powerful and sovereign which one you need and when you need it. And we need to trust in his good and wise counsel. See, seeking to escape all the pain in life is not only unrealistic, it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. God uses trials to build character and the fruit of righteousness in us. So if I could say it this way, resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. God is going to work in your life. You cannot escape it. But you can resist it. And when you try to resist it, that's when you get anxious. That's when you worry. That's when you fear. The second blessing, so he he blesses us with consolation. The second blessing of his presence is confidence. You see that in verses 5 to 6. He says, Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now I've heard some different commentators on this. I've read some different commentators. And either the picture is shifting here from, from the sheep and shepherd metaphor uh, over to a chic uh, and uh, ancient Near East hospitality metaphor. In other words, uh, now it may be it's possible that this is like a, a chic opening up his tent and inviting you in, and it's picturing God more as a, a gracious host. I could go either way on this. If it's a, if it's a banquet, then the table, uh, the anointing with oil, the cup filled full, the banquet table, you see all those metaphors, 
The olive oil would be used to parch dry skin in the desert. Um, the fruit of the vine to drink in celebration. These are all, these are all sort of pictures of ancient Near East hospitality. So it's possible. But it could also be describing the shepherd's preparation of the high mesas or the tablelands. Uh, so it could be more that, the idea there. Uh, ancient shepherds used to, used to take olive oil and they would mix it with spices and stuff and they would rub it on the sheep into their... I don't know, what does sheep have? Fur? Wool. Wool. Okay. <laughs> City boy. But they would rub it into their wool and it would protect them from the parasites and the insects and the bugs which would agitate them. Uh, perhaps the cup speaks to God's provision for his sheep also. It's, it could go either way. Um, I'm not going to land on it. I think the point here is that what's being communicated is the idea of confidence. Uh, David has confidence um, by being in the presence of his shepherd. The presence of the shepherd gives him confidence. That's the idea. You see that? Uh, what harm could possibly befall him that escapes the notice and control of God? Even his enemies, uh, God sets a table before him in the presence of his enemies. What harm could possibly befall him? He's under the protection of God. That's the idea. So confidence in God produces quiet and rest. And notice this phrase in verse 6. He says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's an interesting thing here, and just hang with me for a second. These, uh, these two words in Hebrew, uh, goodness and loving kindness, tov said in the Hebrew, it, it's the only time in the Old Testament that they are connected to this verb, radaf. And I say all that to say this, uh, God's goodness and loving kindness are hunting David down is the idea. It's a, it's a word that normally occurs with enemies hunting down uh, their prey or, or, um, or uh, somebody hunting down their enemies. It's, it's normally a hostile activity of an enemy. But here, um, it's God chasing David down with goodness and literally covenant love is the idea here. It's very ironic. Uh, ironic, but kind of a pleasant word picture of God's favor chasing down those whom he loves, those whom he set his affection upon. They can't get away from him. He is going to continue to chase them down with love and goodness. And notice this last phrase, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, literally, it says for length of days. So I know we like to read this at funerals. I know we like what it says and we think it means eternity but it probably doesn't. It just means for the rest of my life, I know that God is going to shower me with his affection. It's talking about the lasting nature of God's favor. So why do I say all that? Well, the point is that David is saying that he is safe and secure in the presence of the Lord, um, and because of that, he does not need to fear anything. He doesn't need to fear anything. This is how it should be. The nearness of the Lord should bring us confidence. It should bring us confidence. It should, it should reduce fear's stranglehold on us. Fear chokes out our faith. 
One chokes out the other. I don't think faith can flourish in an environment where fear is reigning. There are many things that people fear, right? Death, strangers, the marketplace, traffic, elevators, spiders, snakes, poverty. Many people have simply gotten to the point where they're afraid of fear itself. I'm just afraid of being afraid. And it consumes them. But being near to God reduces those fears. So saying all that, I'm telling you to draw near to God. How do you do that? Right? There's no visible presence of God in the temple anymore. Right? We can't prostrate ourselves before an altar anymore. There's no Shekinah glory hovering over the Ark of the Covenant anymore. So how do we draw near to God? Well, relationally speaking, uh, He indwells you, so you can't get any closer than He already is. (laughs) Right? So how do we develop a closer connection to God? That's the question. Well, first of all, you can confess your sins. You can pray. You can saturate your minds with the Word of God. You can meditate on Him and His attributes. You can worship Him. And you can simply sit quietly in His presence. Just be with Him and stop being so darn busy all the time. It doesn't surprise me that anxiety is on the rise because people are more frantic than they've ever been before in history, I think. They don't know how to just sit and be with the Lord anymore. James 4.8 says that if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Philippians 4.6-9 An interesting, interesting phraseology here I want you to see. Philippians 4.6-9 The Apostle Paul here says, Be anxious for nothing, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, If there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? Now, I don't don't have time to explain this whole passage, but, but what I want you to see is two little phrases in this text here with me this morning. Notice in verse 7, the peace of God. And notice down in verse 9, the God of peace. Do you see that? These are what we call genitive phrases. And notice that one is talking about the peace, the other is talking about God. Do you see that? Look at the text with me. Because if you will be anxious for nothing, and you will be thankful, and you will pray to God, then the peace of God will control you. 
You see that? But if you focus your mind on these things, whatever is righteous, whatever is pure, in other words, just focus on God, then the God of peace will be with you. God's presence will be with you. Do you see the difference there? It's a minor thing, but it's very, very important. You can have it all. You can have the peace of God, and you can have the presence of the God of peace as well. That's the point. So, what lies behind worry and fear, even in believers, is their lack of trust in God. It is their lack of trust in God. In God's provision and His abiding presence with them. And it, frankly, is caused by a desire to be in control rather than letting God be in control. Beloved, I speak from experience on these things. I am not, I am not here talking down to you. I used to have panic attacks. I used to take pills for panic attacks. I struggled with anxiety to the point where at one point I wouldn't even leave my bedroom to go to the bathroom without having a panic attack. That's how bad it got. I hid it for years. I struggled with it for years. But by God's grace and through prayer and through trusting God and intentionally placing myself in positions where my faith was going to be tested and stretched, by God's grace, I overcame it. I overcame it. And I used to, one of the big triggers for me was to sit in traffic. I used to have panic attacks sitting in traffic, stoplight to stoplight. I couldn't go a radius of more than 5, 10 miles. For five years, I commuted to seminary a 100-mile round trip. I even went over there when I had the stomach flu and kidney stones and a herniated disc in my back. And I'm telling you, God sustained me the entire way through because I was not doing it in my own power. I was doing it by God's strength. It's prayer, beloved. It's prayer. It's entrusting yourself to God. Biblical Counseling Foundation, they have this quote here. It says, When you live to please yourself, circumstances that God designs to teach you to trust and obey Him instead become temptations for you to fear and worry. The point is, when you live for yourself, you're either living for God or you're living for yourself. If you're living for God, then you need to entrust yourself to Him. Hebrews 13, 20-21, I'll just conclude with this. The writer to the Hebrews says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is all for God, beloved. We should entrust ourselves to Him and not worry and fear. When we, when we cave to worry and fear, we cannot be used by God. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray You would take Your Word this morning and, and Father, cause us to be changed. 
Father, may we see that worry and fear is a sin that needs to be repented of. That, Father, it is an enemy to faith. And, Father, I pray for those in here, perhaps, that are struggling with fear and worry, that You would encourage them this morning, through Your Word, to entrust themselves to Your care in a greater way. Father, may You comfort them with Your provision and Your presence. May they find great comfort and encouragement in that. Father, may it be the thing which would help them to overcome that which, was, which has held them in bondage for years. Father, may You work in our lives this morning. Make Your Word effectual in our hearts. Grant us Your Spirit that we might change to be pleasing to You. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.